Bibles with me to John chapter 9. John 9. We started this chapter last week, picking it up today in verse 13. And last time we were together, we discussed and, and we got into the miracle that Jesus performed of healing this blind man, giving this man who was born from birth blind. And uh, of course, it, it stirred controversy because Jesus did so on the Sabbath. And I began to research this weekend, and um, Jesus recorded in Scripture, we have seven times that Jesus performed a miracle on the Sabbath day. You think he was being intentional with that? I would say that the Sabbath day and the, the keeping of the Sabbath day was a hot-button issue in that culture. And um, the Pharisees, as we've learned, have had added to the Sabbath. They had made it cumbersome for the people to even observe what was supposed to be a day of rest. And I find this to be true about religion. When religion gets involved, uh, religion puts heavy weights on people. There's no rest in religion. When have you done enough? When have you uh, appeased God? And uh, I'm so thankful today I stand before you, and, and if you're in Christ this morning, uh, you have rest in Him, in His finished work. Are you thankful for that? And amen. We can say amen about that in the very beginning. And uh, But these religious leaders, they, uh, they were burdensome to the people. But we're going to look at today, starting in verse 13, how Jesus is, of course, he liberated this man from blindness. And, and now this blind man is going to lead the blind. The title of the message this morning is The Blind Leading the Blind. We'll start reading verse 13. If you're there in your Bible, John 9, 13, say amen. The Bible says, They brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath, Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him because he opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents who had received his sight. And they asked him, saying, is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then now, how does he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age, ask him, he will speak for himself. I'll stop reading there, but we're going to get right into the text this morning. Will you join me in praying one more time? Father, I ask that you would just speak through your word. Lord, help me to say the things that you want me to say. Nothing more. Nothing less. God, I pray you would touch hearts. I pray you would embolden your people. That we would testify of your wondrous works in our lives. No matter what the consequence. Lord, that we would identify with you in your suffering. Even if it means persecution. Even if we are ostracized and criticized. God, I pray that we would... Count it as but joy to suffer for your name. And God, I pray you would touch hearts, Lord. If there's anyone in here 
without Christ, that today they would come to know you as Savior. And God, we ask that you would speak to us now through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Unbelief often hides behind scientific fact or reasoning. But truthfully, most times unbelief is founded in willful, stubborn rejection. And I want you to understand this is what we're going to see in our text this morning. There are a group of people who stand to lose much if Jesus were to be worshipped, if Jesus were to be received as who he truly should have been received as, as Lord of all. And that group of people were the Pharisees. Now we know that we saw last week that Jesus opened the eyes of this blind man, a miracle that only Jesus would perform. Only the Messiah would open someone's eyes who was born blind. And we understood and we, we, we learned last week how Jesus had an urgency about him, how he understood that the time was short and how he must uh, work the works while he had time during his earthly ministry. And we were challenged by that. How many of you were challenged by that? But we're going to see that now the, the focus is going to shift onto this man who was healed. It's going to shift to the blind man and it's going to cause a stir once again. And every time that Jesus did a miracle, every time that he showed up at a feast, every time that he spoke, every time that he uh, clarified what the law was saying, every single time that Jesus was, was, was involved with the people, there was some sort of stir, some sort of controversy. You know, and I've learned this, Christianity is not for the faint of heart. It is not for those who want to win popularity contests. It is not for those who seek to live a life with no opposition. Christianity, lived out right, is going to get you in hot water. And I don't know about you, but I understand that some of the things that matter the most face the most opposition. And do you understand that the reason why Christianity often is in the crosshairs of the world is because there is only power in the name of Jesus. I just want to remind you guys that the devil is big mad when we sing and we rejoice and we witness and we serve Jesus because there's power behind it. If this was uh, fairy tales and pixie dust that I was preaching to you this morning... I would say to you, you know what, go somewhere else this morning. Go to a golf course somewhere. Go be comfortable. Go make some money. Eat, drink, drink and be merry. But what we are, uh, in essence, trying to do here, and what I was thinking about this morning during the prayer meeting, during worship, is we are trying to prepare an army. You understand that? Why is it that we talk about things like prayer and fasting and denying the flesh and, and, and living a life set apart for the use of God? Because we are an army. You understand this? And, and too long the church has been dormant. Too long we have not seen the miracles, signs, and wonders that we see in Scripture. Too long we've been powerless in the face of darkness. And I want you to understand this Christianity on fire for God, filled with the Holy Spirit. There will be miracles, signs, and wonders. There will be demonic uh, manifestations. There will be demons who are coming trying to stop the work of God. And I'm telling you, church, it is high time that we wake up and understand that we need to get in line with those who have come before us, who have walked the walk, who has finished the course, who has fought the good 
fight. And, and I don't I don't know about you, but I don't want to be of the generation that dropped the ball in this country. There's much at stake. So here we're going to see a blind man, a man that has nothing seemingly to offer, and he's going to display a courage that I hope to display when my number is called. I want you to notice with me, first of all, this morning, the Pharisees' investigation. The Bible says that they brought this man, who was formerly blind, to the Pharisees. Now, this was the normal... uh Thing to do. Of course, the Pharisees were considered to be the custodians or the gatekeepers of the faith. How many of you guys know some people who feel like they are the custodians or the gatekeepers of our faith? <laughs> that if, if you aren't just like them, then you're wrong. Mm. But they brought this man to the Pharisees and they were the religious lawyers. They were, they, they would hold court sessions and they would, they would judge and, and determine Judgment among the people. And so they brought him, and this was the correct thing to do. You know, oftentimes when Jesus would heal someone, he'd say, go to the temple and show yourselves to the to the priests. Show yourselves to the leaders, the spiritual leaders, and offer a sacrifice sometimes, Jesus would say. So this was customary that they would do so. But they sent this man for further investigation. You see, they had asked this man how he was healed and where was Jesus, and the man could he just only could tell him what he knew. He knew that... Jesus had made clay, he had put it on his eyes, and he went to wash in the pool of Siloam, and he came receiving his sight. And he did not know where Jesus went after that. So they send this man to the Pharisees, and they're going to study this miracle with a microscope. They're going to look at it in such detail that we will only indeed verify that Jesus did perform a miracle. I want you to understand that our faith is one that can stand scrutiny. Our Savior can stand the test of men's investigation. And I'm telling you, I've learned this. You just speak the truth of who Jesus is. You just preach the word of God. You just allow the truth to do what only the truth can do. The Bible says you can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Those who oppose the truth, in essence, are propagating the truth. And they are also foundationally uh, reinforcing the truth because they come to find out that you can do nothing against it. And I've learned this. That our word and our, our Savior, He's a lion. He's a lion and you don't need to defend the lion. Just let a lion loose. Let the truth loose. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm, I'm learning this more and more so. I don't get into too many debates and arguments anymore. I just speak the truth and I move on. And, and what people do with it is what they decide to do with it. But I want you to see these Pharisees, they're going to dig into this miracle. This miracle was greater, as I mentioned before, because this man was born blind. This was not blindness that was caused by sickness. This was not something that might suddenly go away. This man had always been blind, and now he was not. And it was obvious that a miracle had taken place. But instead of these Pharisees rejoicing in the Lord's miracle, they chose to use this and try to spin this so that they can prosecute Jesus. And I want you to see the Pharisees' investigation. Now the miracle, of course, is the blind received his sight. And they begin to interrogate and investigate this man. 
The Bible says in verse 15, Then the Pharisees also asked him, How had he received his sight? He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed. And so he repeats to them what he had already told to the people. They, he, he, he's very clear that he, he got clay on his eyes from Jesus, and he washed, and then now he was seeing. And, of course, they were upset that Jesus had done so on the Sabbath day. And um, these people were what I call one-issue people. You ever meet those people that have one issue that they've singled out in the Scripture, and if, if you don't align with them in this one issue, then you're wrong on everything else. Don't worry about all the other fruit. Don't worry about the miracle that just took place. We are upset that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. They were one issue people, and this is similar to many in our day. We know our brothers, and, and, and you know, who I believe are Christians. A lot of our are Christian. Uh, I was thinking about it this week. I remember being in Los Angeles and knocking on doors one Saturday, and I came to a home, and I knocked on the door, and the man opened the door, and there were no lights on in the house. There was there was nothing. It was it was kind of odd. It was just kind of dark in there, and very quiet. There was no music or anything, no TV playing. And we began to talk, and he began to share with me that he was Seventh Day Adventist. And that he does absolutely nothing on Saturday. He doesn't even turn a light switch. It was, he said, I shouldn't have probably not even opened the door for you right now. You know, we go to church on Saturday. You shouldn't go to church on, he, he began to scold me. Oh, I see you guys have church on Sunday. Uh, you should, it should only be on Saturday. We have to keep the Sabbath. And he just began to wave his finger in my face. And, and for him, that one issue, was the biggest issue, and I'm, I want you to understand that this is not right. This is not balanced, and of course, this could be easily refuted through Scripture because this guy, you know, he looked like me. He had dark skin. He was African American, and I said, "Sir, are, are you Jewish?" <laughs> I said, "Do you keep all of the the Old Testament law? Do you keep all of them? The, the 800 or so? If you if you study it out, uh, I mean, but you pick this one issue, sir." And you make a big a big issue out of it. I'm telling you, this is what religion does. Religion emphasizes whatever that man or whatever that faith system wants to emphasize. And they don't do the main words, which is mercy and love and justice. The Pharisees were, were mad that this man had been healed blind because Jesus did so on the Sabbath day. And, and, and what, what kind of, what kind of problem is that? This man is now seeing who was born blind. You should be rejoicing. And I've learned this. You can tell a religious person from a person who has a relationship with God. And it is directly attached to how they treat people. I want you to understand this this morning. I don't care how much we know about Scripture. I don't care how versed you are in theological semantics. I'm going to know who you are by the way you treat your wife. I'm going to know who you are by the way you love your children. I'm going to know who you are. What do people say about you outside of these walls? This is what these Pharisees were trying to do, they're trying to investigate, they're trying to find anything that they can wrong with what Jesus had done so they could try to persecute him and prosecute him. But I want you to understand that even amongst them there was division. You see, in this group of Pharisees, there were some believers, I believe, at this point. You guys remember back in John 3 when Nicodemus came to Jesus at night? I say, you know, Nick at night, he comes to Jesus. 
he came at night. Why? Because he was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees had already made their mind up about Jesus that anybody, and we'll see it later in this text, anybody who who followed this Galilean, this uneducated, uh, not a part of the, the in-crowd uh, leader, this, this, this rebel in their eyes, that, that they would be kicked out of synagogue. So Nicodemus came by night, and, and of course he had that encounter with Jesus. I believe he, at that point, uh, he came, or at some point shortly after, he came to faith, and he was among the Pharisees, among the Sanhedrin. And then there was Joseph of Arimathea. We know he would come and... He would be there when Jesus would be crucified and Jesus would be buried in his tomb. And he was one of the Pharisees, one of the the ruling party. So I believe the division was there. There were those amongst them who had believed on Jesus, but they were what I call secret service Christians. Like some of you, there's co-workers that don't even know you're a Christian. There's people close to you that don't even know you believe in Christ. You keep it close and and under containment that you love Jesus Christ because you wouldn't dare want to hear them make fun of you uh, at the water cooler. You wouldn't dare want them not, not to invite you to the next hangout party. I'm telling you, you wouldn't dare want to be isolated and, 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 and for the sake of the fact that you believe in Jesus Christ. I think it's time for some of us to become public with our faith. I could, I mean, I could think about, you know, social media, many on social media, you can comb through uh, post after post after post and you'll see sports and you'll see, you know, cars and you'll see all other political things and all other types of things, but you won't see Christ. So these men, I believe, they were kind of undercover with their faith, but soon they would come out of that that pattern, but I want you to see the Bible says in verse 16 about the division. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this is not, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Here's that one issue again. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. There's division among them. See, when people refuse to face facts and evidence, honestly, in fear, they evade the issues, and and then it's impossible to come to a united conclusion. And once again, Jesus is the cause of this division. And didn't Jesus say it? He said, I did not come to, to bring peace, but a sword. Do you guys understand that if you are following Christ, that there will be people who do not like you just for that simple fact? He said that I, he, I've come to turn mother against daughter. I mean, even in your very household right now, I can I can see some people out here in the crowd who, you know, you come but your husband stays home. He is not a believer, or you have adult children around you who who do not believe. And there's a there's a I see people in here. I've talked to many in here who, you know, they they were in marriages prior to coming to Christ, and now they're co-parenting uh, with a with an unbeliever. And so the the unbeliever uh, is doing everything they can to unravel the faith that this Christian person is trying to pour into their child. I'm telling you, uh, any type of, uh, of circumstance or, or, or family dynamic that you can think about uh, is complicated when you bring Christ into it. But let me tell you, I want to encourage some of you today, keep fighting the good fight. I want to encourage you, if you've got an unsaved spouse, 
Live out your faith at home. Live it out in such a way. Pray for your spouse, uh, you know, your children, your prodigals. We were here this morning at 6 a.m. praying for prodigals and asking God to bring them home and, and to save uh, those who have walked away. And I'm telling you, uh, Jesus, He causes division. And we shouldn't run from this because I'm telling you, this is how you know the, the wheat from the chaff. This is how you know who is in the, the sheep from the goats. And I understand this, that even in a church like this, there are sheep and there are goats. You say, Pastor, that's very strong. There are some people who I truly believe that the enemy has planted in every church to slow division. And I can support it scripturally. <laughs> And I've seen it. And I've seen them come in. I've seen the wolves and sheep come in and, and, and scatter the flock. And, and, you know, Pastor was a little leery to go on vacation because last time <laughs> when he went on vacation last year or the year before that, there was a, a wolf that came in and, and he took about four or five families with him. And thank God most of those families had to come, they'd come back since and they, they had to say, we didn't see it, Pastor, even though you guys tried to warn us. And, and, and But now we see, we see that there is a clear issue there. And I'm telling you guys, uh, the enemy, he is going to fight. You know, often you'll read the Old Testament. Moses, he would, he would, uh, of course, be on the mountain and, and the enemy would be there with resisting him. The high priest, when he'd go into the Holy of Holies, the enemy sometimes would be right there waiting and trying to trip him up. I'm telling you guys, we have an adversary. We have an opposition. And you know what? The devil, he takes no days off. And we do. <laughs> this man, he's being interrogated. And he's going he's gonna to testify. He's going to testify. Now, can you imagine this setting? This, they're in the synagogue. Here's this, this man who's been healed. And all these religious leaders, these are the most powerful people in Israel. This would be like you and I going to the Supreme Court or something of that nature. Standing there and giving testimony. And they asked him, how were you healed? And he told them. But they, they still wouldn't receive it. And I want you to see there's division. The and then they said to the blind man, they asked him, verse 17, what do you say about him, about Jesus? Because he opened your eyes. He said he is a prophet. He is a prophet. What do you say? What do you say? He said he is a prophet now. This man, I believe at this time, he's still ignorant as to the true identity of Jesus. Later on, I believe he would come to know him. We'll see it in the text, actually, as Savior, as Lord. And he will worship him as such. But I want you to understand at this point, he says, I'm ready to give him this, this lofty title, which it was. That of a prophet was a very lofty title. He said he is a prophet. And, of course, these, this is not the answer that the Jews, the, the, the Pharisees were looking for. Look at verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So they, they didn't uh, believe that this man actually was a blind man who received his sight. And they're, they're not going to uh, give to Jesus the title of prophet. You see, in the Old Testament, there were prophets like Moses and Elijah who did, in fact, and Elisha who performed miracles. The Jewish people looked highly upon these prophets, of course, as men of God 
who do wonderful things by the power of God. And you remember they were divided. They said, this man is not from God. And this man, how does he do what he does if he were not from God? And there was division there. So, But this man, even though there was division there, even though there was much to lose, he boldly said, I believe he's a prophet. And I want you to understand something today. What the world needs today is more bold Christians. Who no matter who is asking, who no matter what, where, where we find ourselves, on the stand, you know, we will declare that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King of Kings, that Jesus is the only way. And I'm telling you, I remember a few years ago watching, you know, a prominent preacher, I won't name his name, and he was on Oprah Winfrey, and, uh, and, uh, the Oprah asked him, you know, do you believe that Jesus is the only way? And he says, well, I, I, I just kind of don't, feel like I'm the authority to answer that question. I can think, I mean, just so many things, I mean, because you understand that if you would have made that declaration there, he would never have been invited back. He would never be invited to the, the, the upper, higher-ups parties and, and the in-crowd. And, and I want you to understand today that we, even though we may not be on big platforms like that, even though we may not have influence seemingly like someone of that stature. I want you to understand that it's important that we stand and that we are bold in our own sphere of influence. Because people, they are they are looking for answers. People around us are searching. They're searching. I was at the gym the other day, and there's a young tattoo artist who you know I play pickup basketball with, and he got wind that I was a pastor, and he pulled me aside. He said, hey, hey man, will you pray for me? I'm just struggling with anxiety. I'm just struggling in my relationship and I'm just struggling with just life and I'm just I'm not motivated and I'm just I'm just I need help and I begin to witness to him and pray for him and I'm praying that one day he will give his heart to Christ. But I'm telling you we've got we've got to declare who we are and who we believe in that we are the children of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So when people need something when they when they have questions that only God can answer, that they can at least uh, come to us. You guys understand that we are the hands and feet of Christ in this world. It's so important. But this man, he's going to boldly say he's a prophet. He is a prophet, and of course the Jews didn't want to give him that high honor. So we see the investigation. They investigated the miracle. Were you truly blind? <laughs> How did you receive your sight? What do you say about him? You see, the questions were just coming. You imagine they were they were bringing the heat. This man was on the hot seat because of the fact that he had been healed by Jesus. But I want you to see, secondly, this morning, there's going to now take place a parental interview. I want you to see it. Look at verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been born, he had been blind and received his sight, excuse me, until they called the parents of him, who had received his sight. So they're going to now call his parents. You see, these people, the Pharisees, were looking to invalidate this miracle. They were going to go down every nook and cranny to try to invalidate what Jesus had done. You see, because if they could convince that Jesus had somehow deceived people by maybe switching uh, men out or one that was not blind with this blind man and this beggar, um, that they could say and, and discredit everything else that Jesus had done. So they call now his parents to the stand. And they're going to ask 
the questions of their parents. I want you to see they're going to first of all ask, is this your son? They're going to ask, is this your boy? Is, is the paternity <laughs> correct? Is this the one that you say was born blind? Is he yours? And, and so they begin to answer this. I want you to see their answer. They answered. They said, yes, this is our son. They answer correctly. They are honest. But I want you to see the next question that's presented to them. They, they answer it very evasively and dishonestly, honestly. <laughs> I want you to see. Look at verse 19. And they asked him, saying, is this your son who you say was born blind? And how then does he now see? Verse 20. His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Correct answer. Verse 21. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. I want you to see they avoided the second question. They pled the fifth, to be honest. <laughs> they used a political answer. They, they passed the buck. They did not want to testify. Now, no doubt, when this man received his sight, probably the first stop was home, right? He went home, and he told his parents, I'm, I'm pretty sure, he wanted to see his mom, his mommy's face for the first time. He wanted to see his dad for the first time. He, you know, I, I'd imagine they embraced each other, and they, they wept as this man could now see. But you see, now his parents were not willing to identify with him. They were not willing to be put on the hot seat in a sense and, and to, to be ostracized uh, by, by sharing the information that no doubt this man had shared with them. They said that they did not know how he was healed, but they did know how he was healed. I'm telling you, this, this goes back to, like I said, those secret servant service Christians, those undercover Christians. And I don't know if they were believers at this point. Obviously, his parents, they were risking a lot. They were, they were, they, the fear of man in their lives had caused them to stumble. I want you to see why they denied that they knew. Look at verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. So they feared man. They feared identifying that Jesus was uh, the Christ because they would be excommunicated from the synagogue. They would, they would pay a price too high. You understand what this meant? They would be ostracized. They would no longer be a part of the community that was there as far as the synagogue. And, and for a Jew, the religious center and the, the, the fiscal uh, benefits of being a part of the synagogue was, was great. And, I mean, this would have mean that they could have lost everything, all respect, all you know, uh, business endeavors if they would have identified that Jesus was the one that healed him, if they would have said Jesus is the Christ. And, and I want you to understand something today. If we're going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost us something. But many Christians don't pay the price tag. God convicted me of this this morning as we're praying. And I'm asking God to do miraculous things. And it's like the Holy Spirit said to me, are you really, do you really want that? Are you willing to, to pay the price tag? God woke me up today at 12.30 a.m. To, to pray. I know you. How many of you guys have been there where you know it's God waking you up? And oftentimes I ignore him. I say, oh, God, I'm tired. 
I'm going back to sleep. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. It's only by the grace of God that I got up and I prayed. And, and I want you to understand, like, the men and women whom God has, has used, the men and women who experience the fullness of God's power in their lives, they always pay a hefty price tag for that. They always have had to sacrifice something. And to identify with Christ, we too will have to sacrifice some things. But isn't it worth it? Isn't it worth it? And I think we've got to remind ourselves of this fact that it is worth it, no matter what the cost is, to identify with Jesus, to, to, to serve Jesus, to stand boldly for Jesus. And the fear of man is what keeps many of us from not doing it. We care more about what people who have never done anything for us. This, this blind man had it right. These people had done nothing for him. They couldn't heal him. No doubt they wouldn't even touch this man. He was viewed as unclean. No doubt. But Jesus comes along. He touches him. He heals him. And now this man is willing to identify with him. And if you're here this morning and you're saved, Jesus has identified with you. He came to you right where you were, as we learned last week. He passed by us, right? And so we should be willing to identify with him no matter what the cost. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father and his holy angels at his return. And I'm telling you, Christians, where are the bold Christians on the street uh, declaring that we are followers of the Most High God? We are believers in Jesus of Nazareth. I'm telling you, so many in this room, I know it. You're going to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to be like a little church mouse, as quiet as you can be. You won't tell anybody about what God did in your heart. You won't tell anybody about what you believe. And I'm telling you, it ought not be so. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Jesus said, don't fear those who can kill the body. What's the worst they can do? They can send me to heaven, right? <laughs> What's the worst? Th- Honestly, if we believe it, right? Don't fear those who can kill the body only, but fear him who can throw the body and the spirit into hell. I'm telling you, if we fear God half as much as you fear some of your, 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 your some men that you see, Oh, we'd be on a, on a good path, finally. So these parents, during their interview, they said, yes, this is our son. They confirmed paternity, but then they denied knowing the method or, or the means by which this young man was healed because they feared man. These Pharisees, of course, they were trying to trap Jesus and the parents. And the parents were trying to avoid the trap but of all, but all of them, excuse me, the Pharisees and the parents, they were ensnaring themselves. They were trapping themselves. They were uh, in a corner now that it was not a good look for them in the eyes of God. And I want to encourage us, if, if maybe one of you leave here today and say, I'm going to speak up. I'm going to be public with my faith. I'm going to be bold when asked. I'm going to witness when given an opportunity. I'm going to identify with Christ when I have opportunity. It would be worth it this morning. And so, this parental interview didn't go well for the parents. They, 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 they refused to give the answer that they know was true. So, we're going to see next 
after the parental interview we're going to see lastly this morning, pointed intimidation. I want you to see verse 24. So they again called the man who was born blind and said to him, so they call this man back to the stand, and they say to him, give God the glory. At this time, this probably was their last push. This was They probably were trying to close the case. The Pharisees were trying to make their final argument and, and try to get this man who had identified Jesus as his healer and as a prophet. Uh, he, uh, they were going to try to get him to take, take his words back. And I want you to understand that statement that they said, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. We see clear coercion here. They say, we know, listen, they, 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 they're saying to him, we know that this man, we are the authorities, and we know that this man, speaking of Jesus, is a sinner. Their prejudice is so blatant. They're, they're just out there. They're not even trying to disguise it anymore. They're going to be very clear. They're leaning in on this man. You better change your answer. You better uh, align with us or else. You better fall in line with our agenda or else. Sound familiar? <laughs> I was thinking about that. I was thinking about how over the last few years, you know, our big issue is the LGBTQ community in, in the States, right? And I think the world is laughing at us right now. We can't even define what a woman is. And it's been this. You better align with what we say or you're going to be canceled. You're going to be ostracized. You're going to be called names. We're going to coerce you. You're going to lose contracts. Uh, I'm telling you, we've seen this play out. The devil's, the devil's tactics do not change. His same MO, method of operation, uh, is still today. He uses intimidation. Uh, a lion, you know what a lion does? The devil's a lion. He's not the biggest lion. We know Jesus is the biggest lion. But uh, a lion, you know what he does to intimidate? He roars. He lets everyone in in the in the jungle know or wherever he's at on the on the pride fields of Africa. He lets everybody know he's there, and you better beware, and you better watch out because I'm coming for you. And isn't that what uh, it seemingly is happening to us today? And you know what we as Christians done have done? We've kind of shirked away. We've not been bold. We've allowed the coercion to continue. We've allowed for these, uh, these, this agenda to be propagated. Now it is in kindergarten. Where are the men? I was thinking about, you know, just, I saw an interview the other day of some of the teammates of this man who's confused, who's swimming on the, on the, on the college swim team. And, uh, and how they said to the team, the, 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 the young ladies, the biological women on this women's swimming team, they said, you guys don't get a say about what's going to happen here. He's going to be in the locker room. He's going to be changing with you. You know, if, if that were one of my, my daughters on that team, we would have entered the transfer portal that day. But I'm telling you, listen, when are, when are men going to be men again? This doesn't happen if there were some men who would stood up and said, hey, my little girl's not going to be in a room with this broad-shouldered uh, man, a, a, a whole man, 6'2", whole man, and I'm not going to stand for it. And I'm telling you, it, it, tell me what I'm saying that's wrong. 
And the reason why we have to keep saying these things, we have to keep coming at it because every week we're seeing more and more. And it's the big hot button issue of our day. And if we don't speak the truth, if we don't uh, allow for uh, the coercion to, to silence us, if we don't stand up and speak the truth, who will? So we got to wake up. These Pharisees were trying to lean in on this man about recanting his statements, about uh, not uh, keeping his same statement and, and, and turning back on what he had already said about Jesus and they're applying pressure. They said, give God the glory or swear. Swear on behalf. This is God. We know this man is a sinner. But I want you to see after the clear coercion, there's a courageous answer. Look at it. He answered, verse 25. I'm almost done. You guys still with me? He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. (laughs) Hey, the courage of this man. This former blind beggar has more guts than many in his day and in our days. He would not be intimidated by these crooked leaders. He had experienced a genuine miracle, and he was not afraid to tell them about it. You guys, you know what? If you're saved this morning, you're a new creature, and you too have experienced a genuine miracle. God took your hard heart and my hard heart and He gave us a heart of flesh. He took those dry bones and He gave us life. He turned us around. You were heading down a road of destruction. I look out on this crowd. I see people. I see ex-cons. I see devil worshippers. I see it all. I see people who are caught in witchcraft. I see people who are caught in addiction. I see people who are caught in perversion. Every type of lifestyle you can think about. And one day Jesus passed by them and He touched them and He changed their life. And I'm telling you, we should be the main people testifying that He has made us see who were once blind. We should be courageous to testify. And wherever God would have us to. Jesus had done in one encounter more than anyone else had done in this man's life. His parents were even ashamed to identify with him, but this didn't stop this blind, formerly blind beggar from giving God the glory. He said, I don't know all about him. I I don't have all the theological terms to describe his character. But what I do know is that I was blind, but now I see. I want to encourage some of you in here today. You have your testimony. We talked about this last week. You may not know all the verses to take someone down the Romans road. You may not know everything there is to know. And some of you, you don't witness because you're afraid someone's going to ask you a question that you don't have the answer for. And, and you know what? People ask me questions almost every week that I don't have the answer for. And you want know, to say, hey, let me get back to you on that. I'm going to go study that. Let me ask somebody smarter than me. Let me let me go read a book. But let me tell you something. I once was blind, but now I see. I know who Jesus is. I know what he's done for me. Anybody else can testify of that? Pick me up. Place my feet on solid ground. And I know that I know, that I know, that I have Him as my Savior. Aren't you thankful that we can know that? The Bible says, These things have I written unto them that 
believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life, but he that hath not the Son hath not life. I'm telling you, the, the Gospel of John, the whole theme is that we may believe, that we may believe. And, and I want you to know, I want you to understand, I, I love the Gospel of John, one of my favorites in the Bible because it is all about Jesus. It's all about what He's done and what He's accomplished and, and who He is. And, and we can share that with the world. And, and so, as I mentioned in the beginning, these men, they were unbelievers. They were willfully, stubbornly, stiff-necked unbelievers. They would not believe on Jesus. And so they are going to now use intimidation to try to get this man to turn around. And he wouldn't. He wouldn't bend. And then they ask him the question one more time. They, they, they are just they're, they're relentless. I want you to see. This is now the fourth time they're going to ask him, how was he healed? Look, verse 26. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? So at this point, this man is getting frustrated. How many of you guys have that one child who asks you things over and over and over and over? <laughs> and uh, this man is getting impatient finally. After all, this man has just been uh, restored with his sight. And, and, you know, he had many things to see. <laughs> People to go see, places to go see. And they got him tied up in the synagogue asking him the same question over and over and over again. And I would have been frustrated a long time ago. But they asked him again. <laughs> and I want you to understand at this point he's, he's going to, he's getting a little sarcastic with them. Look at verse 27. I like this guy. He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to also, do you want to become his disciples? <laughs> do you want to follow him? And of course he knew the answer to that. They didn't want to follow him. But he's gonna, he's gonna stick it to him like, hey, why do you keep asking the same things? And the Bible says in verse 28 that they reviled him. Then that means that they, they ridiculed him. They, they, they got angry. They got, you know, they got big mad and they begin to, to lay into him. And they said, you are his disciple, <laughs> but we are Moses' disciple. So remember, they, they, they often would try to bring in Abraham and Moses. This is the second time. In John 5, they, they said they were Moses from Moses. And, and uh, we know that's not the truth. If they were of Moses, they would have loved Jesus. And look at verse 29. It says, we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. <laughs> Which is a lie. How many times has Jesus said, I'm from above. I'm sent from the Father. I, I am the, the great I am. Oftentimes, he, he, he clearly stated who he was and where he was from and what his mission was. And so these, these men are lying. These men, they won't face the truth. And like I said, when you don't face the truth, when you don't acknowledge the truth, you can't do nothing against the truth. You can't do nothing but for the truth. And this is what's taking place right now. So we're going to wrap it up. They're going to continue to engage this man. And this man is going to continue with his courageous answer. He goes on and he says, Why is it a marvelous thing, verse 30, that you do not know where he is from? He has opened my eyes. Know we not that God does not hear sinners, 
But if anyone is a worshiper of God and he and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of the world, since the world began, excuse me, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind, as we mentioned before. This was a miracle that was only attested to the Christ. And he said, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him and said, you were completely born in sins. And you are teaching us? And they cast him out. I want you to understand, this man's courage to identify with Christ and to speak the obvious, the obvious that if he were not from God, he would not have the ability to perform the miracles that he's been performing, especially the one that was only attributed to the, the Christ, that the blind would see. A blind man from birth is now standing before them seeing, and they still are denying where he is from. And this blind man, he is leading the blind. He is teaching them. The, the, he is, they are supposed to be the teachers. Look, they say, are you going to teach us? Verse 34. But they were so blind in their unbelief and in their pride that they could not see the miracle standing before them. They could not hear the message of Jesus. And I'm telling you, pride is what sends people to hell when you reject Jesus. And I know Jesus, he's pursuing Many, he's, he's constantly convicting, he's constantly pursuing people, and, and he sends us to testify, and, and I'm telling you, there's no one who's going to get uh, to eternity, I truly believe this, who truly had a heart to seek him, that God does not reveal himself to him. I'm telling you, I don't care if you're in a, a remote country, a tribe with no written language, we hear of testimonies of Jesus appearing to people. I hear testimonies. We have missionaries in, in Muslim countries who said, I had a dream and Jesus showed up in my dream. I heard a testimony this week of a woman who was a cult, who was in the occult. And, uh, one of the, uh, the, the practices in the occult was to call upon the spiritual, uh, uh, you know, those who ascended, those ascended beings or whatever. And, and she said that, uh, she was taught, uh, that Jesus was the ascended being that brings peace. And she had no peace in her life. So she was, was in an occult ritual. And she called the name of Jesus. And when she got it, all of a sudden, uh, she had to stop what she was doing. And all of a sudden, she felt his presence. And she had to, as all of a sudden, now the tarot card and the altar that she had built. No longer did she want to be around them anymore. She said, my life began to change when I call upon the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you guys, this is not fairy tales and pixie dust. Jesus is all that he says he is. And yeah, I may be a fool, I'm, but I'm, I'm his fool. And yeah, I may, <laughs> I may only know one thing, but like Paul said, that I may know him and, and the fellowship of his suffering and the and the resurrection power that comes when we die to self and we follow him. My Bible still says if we're going to follow Jesus, we must take up our cross and die to self and follow him. And that's what some of you need to do today. You need to die to self. And I promise you, a dead man isn't ashamed to testify. A dead man isn't ashamed to say, I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. A dead man isn't offended by every little thing. A dead man doesn't fear death because is already dead. I'm telling you, we've got to get back to doing Christianity the way we see it in Scripture. Asking for God to give us a backbone, courage to stand in the day that we are in. This man, he said, this, this Jesus, this man Jesus who healed me, he, <laughs> he was sent from God. It's verified through his miracles. His words verify him. 
one of my biggest prayers right now is for the church to be filled with the Spirit, myself included, so that there could start to be some miracles. You say, Pastor, what do you ask? Are you turning into a charismatic? You coming from the conservative, the ultra-conservative, are you turning into a charismatic? Maybe I am. Because people can deny our words, but they cannot deny the miracles, signs, and wonders. I want to hear of witches getting saved. I want to hear of people being touched and healed and broke, addictions being broken. I want to see miracles. And, and I'm telling you, until we do, we won't have much to back what we preach. You understand, you understand, when Jesus sent the disciples out to preach the gospel two by two, he gave them the power to cast out devils. He gave them power over the demonic realm. He gave them power to do miracles. Why was that necessary? So that the people who were in darkness could know that these men, they, are, they have the power of God on them. It's funny, the occult believes in the supernatural more than the church does. I'm, I'm going to tell you that right now. They, they, they build altars and they, 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 they meditate more than we pray. Uh, they, they, I'm telling you. But we've got to wake up, church, and not be powerless. There's a whole generation of people who are looking for something that's genuine, that will make a difference. You know how many people sit in churches week after week and then go home and still caught in the same addiction, still caught in the same depression, still got the same and seemingly powerless against the, the works of, of darkness. But in my, in my Bible, when I read it, the men and women that God used, they, they would show up on the scene and, and, and things would change. Miracles would take place. God would work through them. You say, Pastor, you know, are we only emphasizing that? What about the Word? We have, yeah, the Word is, is, is where we, <laughs> what we build our lives on. It's the foundation and we preach the Word of God. And don't get me wrong, but, Jesus said you will do greater things. He said the early church, there was miraculous events that took place on a regular. And I'm asking for God to do that in our midst. And uh, I just, like I said, we're an army. An army would not go to war without the weaponry and the the artillery, the, the, (laughs) the power that's necessary. And we need that. I want to encourage you. Today, if you haven't been as bold as you once were for Jesus, if you haven't been identifying with him publicly, if you've been that secret, secret service Christian, you've been that, uh, you know, hiding your faith, if you've been caught in the grips of darkness, if you, if you feel powerless against sin in your life, whatever of these things that are plaguing you right now, I want to encourage you to come to the altar, seek Jesus. He will show up. He will. He can break every chain. He can give power where there was no power before. He can give sight to the mind. If you're here this morning without Christ, I want to encourage you to to put your faith in Him. He alone can save you. He alone has paid the penalty for all of our sin, and He now lives. He's risen. He's on the throne in heaven, and one day He's going to return. 
But he's only going to be returning for those who, who have received him already by faith. In heaven, there's, there are books. And there's one book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And anyone who comes to faith in Christ, their name is written in that book. And that's the roll call of heaven. No one not found in that book will be given entrance into heaven. And I want to ask you this morning, do you know if your name is written in that book? Do you have the assurance of the Holy Spirit? Do you know without a doubt that when you die, you will be with Jesus in heaven? If you don't have that assurance, today would be the day. It's so simple. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. You, you just believe that Jesus died for your sin, that he rose from the grave, and that he would give eternal life to all who calls out on his name. And the Bible says that if you believe that, that he takes residence in your heart. He moves in. He gives you new life spiritually. And you never have to wonder again where you will spend eternity. And I tell you what, this church, we existed to propagate that message, the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God unto salvation. And if you need salvation this morning, don't hesitate to come. I'll be up here in the front. If you want one of us to talk to you, we'd love to show you how you can receive Christ. Also, the prayer room will be open to my left. Um, There'll be men and women in there who are ready, who, who want to pray with you on any issue. Uh, and these people, they love the Lord, they love you, and they're serving the body of Christ in that ministry of prayer. And we believe prayer is as powerful as God is. Don't we believe that? God moves when we pray. And in heaven, there, there's, there's vials that are incense, filled with incense. It's the prayer of the saints. It's a sweet smell in God's nostril when we pray. And so I just want to encourage you, once again, the altar is open. You need prayer, the prayer will be open. If you need Christ, we'd love to show you how you can receive him.